Dear congregation, we're in the workshop, the schoolhouse of the Holy Spirit, as I mentioned in prayer. And King Uzziah, what do you know about him? I think you'll learn a little about him that you might not have known. We have a sermon in connection with him based on what scripture tells us in our text passage. And our sermon theme is, as given in the bulletin, gospel lessons from the life of King Uzziah. First, we will look at a brief summary of his life, and then we will consider together some gospel lessons from his life. And I say gospel lessons because you understand, don't you, all the Bible is full of gospel teaching. Teaching meant for us to learn truly and increasingly what sinners we are in ourselves, And how Jesus Christ is the only Savior from all sin. And what it means to belong to Him and live in faith and faithfulness before Him and in devotion to Him in line with all His word and will. So gospel lessons. But for the brief summary now of King Uzziah's life, Let's go to that first. It's helpful to know he began ruling over the tribes of Judah and Benjamin at age 16. The text emphasizes that. Imagine that, dear young people in church. He became king at age 16. His father, who was King Amaziah, was a king who followed God, but not with a loyal heart. And especially not in the last years of his 29-year reign. He turned away more from God than turned to God as he got older. So we can say his father, Uzziah's father, was not such a good example to his son Uzziah. Neither, by the way, was his grandfather, Joash, who started well. But turned out so, so wrong. But we're told this Uzziah, he reigned, interestingly, 52 years. That's a long time. Only his grandson Manasseh lived longer as king. He reigned for 55 years. I think you will agree with me. A 52-year reign is a long time for ruling and reigning over land and suggests perhaps some stability. King Uzziah reigned in a time, in fact, when in Israel, with the ten tribes, they were falling and failing miserably and very unstable. King Uzziah lived from 792, or reigned from 792 to 740 B.C. And it was a time when The ten tribes of Israel were fast declining into spiritual rot and ruin. 722 would be their end. Well, to see this comparison between the ten tribes and the two tribes, if you go to 2 Kings 15, when it tells about King Uzziah, there's only seven verses on King Uzziah, and then the rest of the chapter is about five kings in Israel during that same period. Suggesting a lot of instability because several of those kings were killed by conspiracy in in that time. But there was one king of Israel in the time of King Uzziah who lived quite, who reigned quite a while. He reigned forty-one years. That's King Jeroboam. I think he was the longest reigning king of Israel, King Jeroboam the second. And under King Uzziah, 
of Judah and Benjamin and King Jeroboam II of the ten tribes, God allowed both kingdoms to flourish economically for a while. Yes, shortly before the final overthrow of the ten tribes by the Assyrians, as God had long forewarned was coming upon them for their sin and rebellion and idolatry. Now, King Uzziah, the text tells us, he was mostly a God-fearing king during his reign, surely compared to all the ungodly kings of Israel. The Bible tells us Isaiah began his ministry as prophet of the Lord in the later days of King Uzziah. In fact, you know perhaps Isaiah 6, where we are told the dramatic account of Isaiah's call to be prophet of the Lord in the year that King Uzziah died. King Uzziah is mentioned by name also in the prophetic books of Hosea and Amos and Zechariah. Micah was another prophet coming on scene probably in the latter years of King Uzziah, serving more the reigns of the kings after him. King Uzziah, we should know too, is actually referred by two names. The one is Uzziah, which means literally, my strength is the Lord. And the other name he went by, as we learn in 2 Kings 15, was the name Azariah, which means literally, in Jehovah is help. These names are used interchangeably. One may have, might have been a personal name and the other is an official name. We don't really know. But either way, sadly, as we shall see, King Uzziah or Azariah did not always live up to his names. While the ten tribes of Israel were about to be overcome and scattered and removed by the Assyrians in the righteous judgment of God, the faithful prophets of the Lord kept warning yet the two remaining tribes Judah and Benjamin, that God's judgment would soon fall on them too, except there be wholehearted repentance and trust and obedience before the Lord, their covenant God and Savior. And we are told about King Uzziah in 2 Chronicles 26, verse 5, that he sought God in the days of the prophet Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And then we are told, as long as Uzziah sought the Lord... God made him to prosper. This prophet Zechariah, let me just say that yet, by the way, is not the same one who wrote the prophecy of Zechariah in the book of Zechariah in the Bible. For he was a man of God 200 years later. Some suggest, like Matthew Henry, that this prophet Zechariah, who influenced King Uzziah for good, was maybe a grandson of the prophet Zechariah that King Joash Uzziah's grandfather so wrongly and wickedly had slain in his day as told us in 2 Chronicles 24 verse 21. That's conjecture however and we simply have to say we do not know this prophet Zechariah. He's an unknown prophet of the Lord and if you check your concordance there are more than 30 Zacharias in the Bible. Interesting isn't it? Well, now, what more does our text chapter tell us about King Uzziah? We learn he was a very gifted man and a very energetic person. And as such, he was a master builder and a great organizer. And he loved farming. And all this is expanded on in the chapter quite a bit, isn't it, as we read it? We are told that King Uzziah truly helped advance the army of Judah. 
and to build and restore cities formerly taken over by the surrounding heathen nations. Agriculturally, militarily, and with city infrastructure and technical equipment, he served to help the dominion of Judah and Benjamin to become much more secure and to progress and to prosper in all kinds of ways. Whatever he touched on, it seemed it improved immensely. And King Uzziah, in his rule under God, was a rich blessing. So, as we can read in verse 15, his name, and you could also say his fame, spread far and wide. For he was marvelously helped till he was strong. You see that in the text. In verse 8 we're told he strengthened himself exceedingly as a king. But then at this point in verse 15 and 16 there's sadly a great change in the chapter. And we are told about King Uzziah, yes, becoming proud and arrogant of heart. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up. And he no longer became, no longer was humbly dependent on the Lord as before. And this comes out most clearly in, in the episode of him wanting to take over the tasks in the temple, which God had ordained only for the priesthood to conduct. When the priests rebuked and withstood the king from burning incense on the incense altar in the temple, verse 19 tells us the king became very angry. He became furious. He lost his temper at being stood up to. And he would go ahead anyways. But just then, something very bad and sad happened to him. Do you know what it was, children? We are told in verse 19 that leprosy broke out on his forehead. And it was clear God himself now was afflicting Uzziah, with this dreadful, shameful leprosy for his pride and his sin and his rebellion against the Lord. And so also when the priests, as the text tells us, drove King Uzziah out of the temple, Uzziah himself didn't resist. He himself hasted to go out, the text says, for he realized his offense. And now Uzziah had to live in a separate house apart from the people. For he was unclean. He was contagious. He was a leper. In fact, never again would this king, Uzziah, be able to enter the palace nor the temple of God. Plus, he would for the rest of his life have to submit to the priest's scrutiny in a new way according to the God-given ceremonial and civil laws in regards to leprosy as spelled out very clearly in Leviticus 13 and 14. Uzziah's leprosy, so the text tells us in verse 21, also stayed with him for the rest of his life until the day of his death, the text says. His son Jotham took over the main duties of ruling the land and probably we're not sure, but it could have been up to years, even 10 years, the last 10 years of his 52-year reign that it was a co-ruling, a co-regency with his son Jotham on the throne in the palace and Uzziah dwelling separately as a leper in a leper's house in the leper's colony. And because he died a leper, we're told he wasn't buried in the royal family tomb. Nobody was buried just in the burial field of the kings. 
As one study Bible note put it, Uzziah was buried away from the royal family in relative dishonor because of the curse of leprosy. Oh, what consequences for his sin and pride this king suffered even to his death. Though, as we shall see, we may believe he lived and died a true child of the Lord. Well, with that for our brief summary on King Uzziah's life, let's now think of our second main point on some gospel lessons from his life. What gospel lessons do you glean from his life story as given us in the Holy Bible? Would you agree with me with at least the following seven gospel lessons? And I printed them out and have them on the table in the back where the bulletins are. You can take them home and read them over today, even in your family devotions. Seven gospel lessons. The first being, for one, how good congregation when we are under the influence and guidance of godly men. Isn't that correct to say? To be under the influence and guidance of godly men. How good. In view of verse 5. Like earlier we read of King Joash. In 2 Chronicles 24 verse 2. That he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. All the days of Jehoiada the priest. So this King Uzziah. He sought God in the days of godly Zechariah. As his advisor. And prophet of God to him. That is, under, under this Zachariah's godly counsel and example, King Uzziah repeatedly looked to God and called on God and aimed to do the will of God and what was to his honor and praise. And we are told in verse 5, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. Congregation, shouldn't we learn from this how wise that we time and again place ourselves under faithful preaching and teaching of the word and in the company of the saints of God. Is this what you and I do too? Repeatedly. So, I see the calendar for the September and the coming year. Are you going to be diligent to make use of all the means of grace? Is this what you and I do? Are you and I resolved, congregation, to continue steadfast under the word and in company with God's people just to help keep us on track throughout our earthly pilgrimage? The text seems to suggest when Zechariah was no longer around for whatever reasons, we don't know, then King Uzziah didn't look for other godly advisors and continue faithful in being under the influence of the word. None of us can afford that, beloved. Because if we are not under the word much, and with the people of God lots, then likely we are more under the influence of the world, and in company with the ungodly and the the indifferent. In the multitude of godly counselors is safety. That's stated at least twice in the book of Proverbs 11.14 and 15.22. Are you and I wise in this regard? Or unwise. Careful. Or not so careful. Diligent. Or not so diligent. How important to heed. Beloved the exhortation of the Apostle Paul. In 1 Corinthians 15.33. Be not deceived. Evil communications. Corrupts. Good manners. Another translation puts it. Evil company. Corrupts. Good habits. 
You know that's true, don't you? Some of you maybe also by painful experience. A searching question also to ask in this regard is, are you and I a good and godly example and influence on others in our families and in the congregation and at school and at work and in our society? Do we help people think on God and on His Word? Or do we actually help people to live unmindful of God and His Word? Well, this is the first lesson then. How good when we are under the influence and guidance of godly people. Will you and do you take this gospel lesson to heart? Surely the life story of King Uzziah urges us to do so. You see that with me, right? A second gospel lesson from his life story is to be careful of over-preoccupation in earthly matters. Be careful of over-preoccupation in earthly matters. For as necessary as they be for us in our daily life responsibilities, our earthly matters, yet never should they be what engages us more than spiritual and eternal matters. And I'm not talking about time-wise. Of course, our jobs require a lot of time. But where's our heart? Where is your heart? It seems as King Uzziah, in his life, he was prone to be all focused on the here and now responsibilities of his kingdom rather than on God and his word and will for his life. And don't we see a hint of this imbalance in at least two ways in this chapter? Notice, for one, that the very first thing told us about King Uzziah, even before verses 4 and 5, is the mention in verse 2 of him building and strengthening, rebuilding Elath, and having that strategic place restored to Judah. It, it seems like there was with this King Uzziah an over-concentration on, on expansion, and protection and security and, and military and farming and technology and worldly progress. Doesn't the chapter altogether emphasizing this aspect of his reign not also reinforce this conclusion? That this, this was kind of a first love matter for King Uzziah. Whereas Jesus says in Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness and all the other things will be added unto you. King Uzziah, we read, when you read the text, you find out he more or less seemed to live with this focus the other way around. All on earthly matters. That's where his heart was. Rather than on spiritual matters. Isn't this same a common danger for us all? as confessing Christians also in our day. How easy, don't you agree, to be all engaged in the here and now matters and to put spiritual and heart matters and gracious growth and godly fruit in union with Christ secondary and hardly to think on that even nor to work on that above all else rather than to be busy with laying up treasure for ourselves here on earth, Jesus warns in Luke 12, I think you know the passage, let's not forget our primary calling to be rich.
towards God. That is, with living and growing faith and fellowship and service in union and communion with Him. Aren't we in danger of becoming imbalanced? For think of it, isn't the Lord Jesus most wonderful? He alone is the only Savior of sinners. We are called to abide in Him and His Word and to find life and fullness of life. You won't find it apart from Him. Without Him, we can do nothing, Jesus says Himself in John 15. King Uzziah, he seems to have been forgetting this priority matter, all caught up in the kingdom here and now, whereas he was to serve as king for the kingdom of God. Well, what about you and me in this regard? Will you take this second gospel lesson to heart from the life story of King Uzziah? Shouldn't we all do so if we are serious in life, in the pilgrimage of life here and now? And yes, that brings me now to a third gospel lesson from the text passage. And that is, congregation, how we need to be so careful and afraid of the sin of pride. Others have described this chapter, 2 Chronicles 26, as the story of, quote, the downward ride of pride. As King Uzziah kept working hard for the, for the good of Judah, the material good of Judah and Benjamin, and under the blessing of God, he made much progress, and the land prospered greatly. We are told, aren't we, how it resulted in Uzziah becoming prideful thinking it was all, after all, his doing. As his honors and his riches increased, his fame became more and more well-known. It got to his head. And alas, he became proud and arrogant and self-sufficient. Isn't this what we can rightly conclude just from the verses 15b and 16? There we are told, so his fame or his name spread far abroad, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. And then we are told of his foolish, prideful deed in the temple. Taking on a role that was not given him by God and was specified only for the ordained priests. All oh, the danger of pride is ever real, isn't it, if we are honest? Yes, and even the most holy and godly of believers. The Bible teaches us that the devil's downfall was his rebellion in pride against God. And we know now Satan's constant goal is to have us all fall in sin in the way of pride. Pride always involves us not acknowledging God for who he is in all his glory and holiness and wisdom and power. And at the same time, exalting ourselves and refusing to admit our sinfulness and smallness before God in ourselves. With all sinful pride, we forget and we deny the unchanging fact of our absolute, total dependency on the Lord for every true blessing in soul and in life, for soul and body, for now and forever. In Proverbs we read, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. 
You know, always with foolish and deluded pride, you and I put sinful self in the center instead of God as revealed in his word as our creator, provider, and savior to whom we owe our all in all. Oh, beware of sinful pride. And as urgently and lovingly exhorted in the New Testament church in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Congregation are not here the words of Psalter 383, stanza 1 and 5, based on Psalm 139, so good for us to remember too. There, with the believing psalmist, we say and we sing, All that I am, I owe to thee. Thy wisdom, Lord, has fashioned me. I give my maker thankful praise, whose wondrous works my soul amaze. Search me, O God, my heart discern. Try me my thoughts to learn, and lead me if in sin I stray, to choose the everlasting way. It's not likely that King Uzziah repeated those words to himself and prayed them before God. But instead we're told his heart was lifted up in wrong and sinful ways. And tragically and thoughtlessly, he forgot the meaning of his two names. Uzziah, my strength is the Lord. And Azariah, in Jehovah, is help. Oh, again, shall we learn this gospel lesson about being on guard against sinful pride. Not just if unsaved still, but, but very much so also as those who are saved. We prove congregation are being saved by taking to heart the gospel lessons of all God's word truly and repeatedly. Well, is this not what characterizes your and my life too? When confessing Christians in spirit and truth, and in word and deed. Then there is this fourth lesson that jumps out from their text chapter and this sad history about King Uzziah. So important for us to remember also in our times today. And here I'm thinking of the lesson not to intrude on the way of worship that God has ordained for us. Not to intrude on the way of worship that God has ordained. The story of our text chapter reminds us again solemnly how offensive it is to God when we insist on worshiping Him as we will instead of as He wills. Also in connection with the New Testament church and, and, the, and the way of worship and the office bearers, let's not act indifferently and carelessly about how God will guide and guard His church and how He will be worshipped also with the leadership of the appointed office bearers that He provides for us. God keep you and me from thinking to take things in our own hands. Thinking we can run the church and we can make worship come alive even better than those who are in office and, and even better than, than God says. How foolish and wrong. Yet isn't it true in our day? Isn't, I think you will agree there's a, an overall resistance, isn't there, to authority figures and certain ruling structures that God has instituted in His church and for His church and also for worship. Let's not fall prey to the anti-authority mindset and the revolutionary rebellious activity increasingly common, especially the last decades. 
We live in a day of a lot of worship wars. Why are there worship wars? Because so many people say and think, I know how to worship God, just follow my way. No, God has shown us. He's taught us how to worship. And the Reformation Church wants to worship God in line with His Word. To be sure in civil government, when leaders are unfaithful and irresponsible and unjust, yes, we can pray and work that they be removed. But again, using the lawful and democratic means for that, as is our privilege still in this part of the world. And in church life, we have the process, don't we, of church discipline to be used if so needed, God forbid. We know in the case of this King Uzziah, of course, it was not the priests who were unfaithful, but rather the king, King Uzziah. He wanted to add this feather to his hat, as it were, that he could also rule in the house of God as he pleased. And he would bring great reformation there, and he would make that successful as well. But God was not pleased. Well, does anyone among us especially need to remember this gospel lesson? And to respect the authorities that be. And the special offices that God gives for His church in their domain as God ordained it. And, and worship as He calls for it. And not to act as we please, but as He pleases. We can't trifle, beloved, with the ordinances of God and Christian worship as He ordains and think still to prosper well. For it brings upon us God's disapproval and disfavor when we so sin against Him and all his people. We can go through the motions of religion then, but his spirit may leave us, and God forbid that should happen among us. I had to think with this fourth point how relevant the Bible is. The Bible is so relevant. It's written thousands of years ago, but it gives lessons for life still today, so good for us to hear and to remember and to follow and live by. Saying that, consider this fifth Lesson so important for us also never to forget and always to remember. This fifth lesson, how God allows consequences for sin even when forgiving us our sins. He allows consequences for sin even when forgiving us our sins. You agree with me what's sad and tough to bear consequences for his sin. This King Uzziah suffered for years possibly and even right to the day of his death and with his burial even. The leprosy that fell on him was a terrible, shameful affliction. We hear of monkeypox today, but this was almost worse. And... We read of King Uzziah, we can't read so much about it, but we know it was an affliction, terrible, tough to bear, so trying day and night, and very lonesome, and very humiliating. Now, I said earlier that we may believe this King Uzziah was a saved man, and that he died still in the Lord, and will you agree with me on this? Doesn't the text strongly suggests this, not only with the overall description of him in verse 4 as doing what was right in the sight of the Lord, but also with his apparent submission of him, though not expanded on in the text so much, of the affliction that fell upon him. He himself fled the temple, knowing he was judged by God. Can we not say, in fact, that God gave him this affliction to be ever profitable to him so that Uzziah never again would forget his total dependency on the Lord for soul and body, for this life and the life to come? 
It's not reading too much in the text, is it? To say with this affliction, King Uzziah learned to say with the psalmist of Psalm 119, verse 68, O God, thou art good and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. Indeed, in mercy and loving kindness, the Lord had affliction served to be profitable for him. And as we learn of this, isn't it good to remember this gospel lesson too? Is it not the case that often we all, in different ways, can go through various trials and struggles and hardships? Some of you now even may be going through a really hard trial. And while it's not always on account of consequences of some sin in our lives, many times it might not be because of some specific sin, but it can be, but many times it doesn't have to be, yet it is always for God's glory and intended for our good or not. Those whom the Lord loves, he chastises. And he makes affliction profitable for his people, the Bible says. I read just a couple of weeks back, someone writing, quote, Sanctification through affliction is a greater blessing than deliverance out of them. Sanctification through afflictions is a greater blessing than deliverance out of them. Now God's people aren't always there, but how good when we do believe this and when we know this by God's grace and even also may show this by His grace and power in our lives. You will agree, it's surely not a good sign of being in a right place before the Lord and our neighbor when you and I protest our afflictions as just so unfair and so most undeserved. No, and especially not if the trials be clearly a direct consequence of our sinful and wayward, proud and ungodly ways for however long in our lives it lasts. Because if we were living in direct disobedience to him and his word, as was the case with King Uzziah. But how wonderful, think of this really, and so tender and loving of God to use afflictions graciously and wisely to lead us truly and evermore to look to him and call on him and to love him as our all and all in this life and for the life to come. Do we all here, you and I, treasure also this fifth gospel lesson of God sovereignly allowing consequences of sin in our lives or just sovereignly allowing afflictions in our lives for his glory and our further well-being. Sometimes you should think of this too. God may allow afflictions to be carried by us for witness to others, for those around us, that they might see not just the evil of sin, but the goodness and mercy of God and what a blessing to belong to him and to have him as our comfort in life regardless what trial we go through. That too is good to remember when sometimes much tried and weary under affliction. It may be just for, the, for your Christian witness to your family or to your neighbors. Let's not forget this either when going through trials. Then there's this sixth gospel lesson, congregation, that is evident in our text passage in the context of these chapters in Second Chronicles. And the sixth lesson, namely, of being careful to endure to the end, careful to endure to the end. It's striking and alarming even how several kings of Judah who did what was right before God and started so well in their reign, yet in their later years they wavered and they faltered most sadly. Think of King Joash, 
King Amaziah, King Uzziah. And before that, what about King David? King Solomon? Not to mention others as well, like King Hezekiah. Oh, doesn't this history of these kings of old remind us, you and me, of the sobering reality? We cannot allow ourselves to become slack in seeking and serving the Lord and with staying close to His word and will. Let's not become weary, therefore, in praying and working, in learning how great our sins and miseries are of ourselves. And learning more and more about the preciousness and the wonderfulness of Jesus Christ, the gracious, most glorious Savior from sin. And growing to in wanting and desiring more and more to live to His praise in gratitude and praise to Him. You know, in the end of 1 Corinthians 15, after Paul exalts Christ as the crucified and risen Savior, and how he's the eternally victorious, triumphant Redeemer for us, for body and soul, Paul then exhorts in serious jubilation and earnest exhortation, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Oh dear congregation, it's urgent that we demonstrate long time obedience and that we not only start well, but finish well. Other Christian writers have spoken about this, how the Christian life is not just a sprint, but it's a marathon. It's a race. Hebrews 12 also says this, it's a race to the end. Will you run the race? Not in your own strength, but ever looking to Jesus. Shouldn't this be our care? Yes, the older we become. The older I become, I th- I'm learning. I'm thanking God I'm learning. I can't depend on myself. I'm not reliable. But He's reliable. He's dependable. Thank God, not depending on ourselves, but depending on Him. He will carry us through. The Lord is the author and finisher of our faith. And He has promised not only to begin a good work in His people, but to complete it till the last day. But this precious doctrine of the preservation of the saints is only rightly confessed and prized by us in and with the perseverance of the saints taken most seriously too by you and me. All true Christians know this and experience that is how it works in the Christian life of grace and truth. So yes, beloved, take seriously the calling to endure to the end and become not weary in well-doing for it's only those who endure to the end in faith and faithfulness who are saved. And all the above lessons, they bring us then climactically to the last gospel lesson of our text passage. And it comes out from our text in neon lights, as it were. And what is that? Well, the gospel lesson, oh, how we need King Jesus, don't we? To lead us and to be the perfect and complete Savior of sinners for us. Second Chronicles, first and second Chronicles in the Hebrew Bible were the last books of the Bible in the, in the order of the Hebrew Bible. And, and they pointed to the coming of the Messiah, the promised Messiah, and our great need of Him. Jesus Christ, that promised Messiah, He in His person and work serves in all three offices as chief prophet and only high priest and eternal, eternal king 
And think of him, think of him so ever faithful and obedient, yes, even a sin bearer. When he took on the iniquities of his people and he was despised and rejected and cast out of Jerusalem. If Uzziah was quarantined as a leper, think what happened to Jesus. He was isolated and quarantined, cast off and cast out. Indeed, Jesus as Savior and King of all, when most isolated and left all alone in Gethsemane and in Golgotha, he still was out to save his people from their sins, wasn't he? All the failures of the prophets, priests, and kings of the Old Testament era point to the desperate need and the exceptional glory of Jesus Christ, the promised perfect Messiah King. Jesus Christ, congregation, is the great son of David who has come to rule in almighty power and in infinite righteousness and to have an everlasting reign. How safe and blessed we are when trusting him and trusting citizens of his kingdom. He is our Alpha and Omega. Well, does this include all of us here that we look to him in spirit and truth? Think of it. Who can compare to Christ the Lord as King of Kings and Lord of Lords? You know, the other day I, I read about the apparently around $1 billion, imagine that, $1 billion lottery out there. And how many people are getting their tickets for that lottery to try to win it? Because, well, money is their idol god and their trust. But the same article which told about this billion dollar lottery also then told stories of, of those lottery winners in the past who won millions of dollars and who live now collapsed lives in total misery and chaos and tragedy with the money they won. You see, money doesn't save. It never saves anyone. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil, and it surely is. But Jesus comes to save. All the above gospel lessons, congregation, preach and teach to us and call earnestly to us, everyone without exception, as Second Chronicles 26 verse 5 declares, it is only as we seek the Lord that God makes us truly to prosper. What does it profit a man if he gained the whole world and loses soul? All idol gods of mankind only lead us in delusion and despair and dismay and darkness and destruction. And again, I was so struck with this when I made this sermon a couple months back. And I read a BBC news report of the million plus Muslims who were so delighted this past year, a couple months back, to take the pilgrimage journey to Mecca and to be able again, or for a first time, to touch and kiss one of Islam's most revered relics. Yes, that black stone in the sacred, set in the sacred Kaaba building in the Mecca area. And this year the report said all COVID barriers were removed of the last two years. And what a religious highlight to be able to touch and even kiss that black stone. Before COVID, close to three million Muslims around the world would travel to do so. And the hope is that many more will be able to again in the years ahead. For as that article also stated, quote, in Islamic tradition, the black stone 
is believed to date back to the time of Adam and Eve. It was already held as sacred before the rise of Islam, the article stated, and it's said to have originally been white, but turned black through receiving the sins of those who touched it. Now imagine that, dear congregation, putting so much hope in an ever-black, cold, lifeless stone compared to the living, warm-hearted, loving Savior, King, triumphant Jesus, who through His once-for-all sacrifice for sin as crucified and risen Redeemer, yes, through His shed blood and faith in Him, washes away all the sins of His people and makes us whiter than snow before God in truth and forevermore. Oh, truly, do you see it? There's just no comparison to trusting and serving the Lord, our God, as revealed in Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. Let all seven gospel lessons then from the life story of King Uzziah, as told us in Second Chronicles 26, ever remind us and guide us to live only always seeking the Lord. Daily, daily repenting of our sins and trusting and following Him, humbly dependent on Him in all our ways. For only and always in that way will we truly prosper for now and forever. Even so, will you have the seven gospel lessons mentioned so lead and guide you and also be blessed of God for you to give a truly Christian testimony and godly example to those around you. Not only for a while, but for as long as you live. God marvelously helping you too by His grace and word and spirit to that end. What were the seven gospel lessons again? One, take care to be under the influence and example of godly men and friends, godly people and friends. Two, be on guard against over-preoccupation on earthly and worldly matters. Three, watch out for the ever-present danger by nature of sinful pride and, and seeking self-glory in any way. Fourth, remember not to intrude in the way of worship that God has ordained. Five, realize always the way of sin brings its painful consequences, even sometimes for our lifetime, though truly forgiven for, by God's people who look to Him and ask for forgiveness. And God may use afflictions just for His witness to us and to others. And six, always keep in mind humbly and heartily to persevere in the good fight of faith till the end and not to waver or slack off as the years go by. And then thank God, seven, thank God for Jesus Christ, our perfect, priceless Savior King. And ever look to Him and abide in Him and His gospel word and way and all will be well with us. Indeed, remember all those lessons above as summarized just in these words. As long as King Uzziah sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. You won't forget, will you? <laughs>